0: fish swim birds fly
1: y'all i'm tommy tomlinson and from wfae in charlotte this is southbound conversations with people from all walks of life about how the south shapes who they are and what they do what you heard right there was mary Gaucher imagining the life she might still be living had she not caught herself in time Gaucher grew up an orphan in new orleans she was drinking by the time she was 12 ran away from home at 15, spent her 18th birthday in jail. Still, she managed to build a career as a chef, but she bottomed out at 27, getting arrested for DUI on opening night of the restaurant she co-owned in Boston. That was in 1990, and she's been sober ever since. After she got sober, she started writing songs, then performing, and eventually she made it to Nashville where her songs have been recorded by everybody from Jimmy Buffett to Boy George. She released her 11th album this year. It's called Dark Enough to See the Stars. And she's also written a book called Saved by a Song, which is part memoir and part study of songs she's written and others she loves. Mary is wide open about her past, her place in the music world, and her belief in what songs can do she makes me believe too. Here's our conversation. I know you've just been on tour. I know you've been overseas. Uh, I, I am 58 years old and I think you're in the same ballpark with me. Uh yeah, are? You? Okay. So you work a lot of night shifts. Uh, I'm at the point in my life where I'm kind of on farmer's hours. When it starts to get dark, I start to get sleepy. And I'm wondering if as you have aged, whether you're routines or the way you have to approach being on the road. Has any of that changed at all?
0: I'm working on that. (laughs) I don't have a clean, clear answer. Um, I definitely won't do a show if it starts after eight o'clock. We're not doing no midnight shows anymore. (laughs) We're not doing 10 o'clock shows anymore. We'll leave that for the young ones. Um, So my show started eight and if I get to have my way, they start at seven. The bigger question is, should I be going town to town to town to town to town town the way I do? Uh, And I think the right answer is I need to be looking at that Uh, because it does take a toll. Uh, I got to build in more days off. And I think I got to build in some consolidation, meaning, you know, after 11 records in 25 years, uh, perhaps I can play the bigger city and people can come to me. I've never been confident about that happening. So I go town to town to town to town, but I might give it a try now that I'm 60. Cause I, I tell you, I was out there for 30 days in uh, Holland and Scotland and England. Uh, and uh, the uh, the pace really, uh, it got to me. Um, the lack of sleep, the road food, the the, the changing uh, hotels every day, it's, it's pretty tough. I mean, it's hard when you're young too, though. It's, it's not an easy life for any, any traveling troubadour, musicians that are on the road. It's, it's, you know, it looks great on Instagram, but in reality, it's pretty tough.
1: We can see each other on Zoom here. Um, the audience won't be able to see this, but over your shoulder is the cover of your book, Saved by a Song, and on the cover of that book is an old guitar. And it's the same guitar I see you play in most of the clips I've seen of you and I think the concerts I've seen with you. I, I'm guessing there's probably a story behind that guitar.
0: There is. It just got updated because British Air smashed the, the hell out of it. Really? Coming home from London, yeah. The oh, guitar man. Is, now, is now in shop. They crushed uh, the case, the Carlton case, which is supposed to be indestructible, and the guitar got splintered. It broke all of the braces underneath and the top came off the bottom, and the the, the guitar is in bad shape. Um, they say they can fix it, but it'll never be the same.
1: Oh, I am so sorry to hear that. So, what? How did you end up with it in the first place? Mm, well, I got
0: it at a guitar show. Um, my um, uh, friend Ray Kennedy came with me, uh, and we we tried every guitar. Uh, it was at the Nashville Fairgrounds. We, t- we tried every old Gibson guitar at the show. Uh, and we narrowed it down to six. And then Jim Lauderdale showed up out of nowhere. And I had Jim play those six and Ray played those six. And we all three decided this would be the one um, I had uh, a relationship end horribly uh, a few months before that. Uh, and I was just in a really bad place. And I thought, you know, this is time to reset. I need a new guitar. I need a new old guitar. And so I had a pocket full of cash and we brought it to the vendor and between Jim Lauderdale and Ray Kennedy record producer. uh, And my sad and broken heart, I went and played it in the bathroom to make sure the the acoustics worked in a a room where there's no uh, people talking and and I just felt like this was going to be the instrument that was going to help me heal. But ma'am, when I saw it broken, when I got home and opened the case, I really cried. And I don't think I was just crying for the guitar. I think I was crying for the miles we've traveled together and the relationship. It's like, it's like a relationship. You really, if you're like me, uh, you, you, you think of it as, as a part of your body. Almost the songs I've written on it, the mile, the hard travel and miles. We, we made it through together. Um, it's, it's, it's impossible to explain any of this to an airline.
1: I want to ask about something in your book, you know, this is a podcast about the South and, and, um, you had a transformative experience, um, with the Indigo girls from Atlanta. And I I wonder if you could just kind of tell that story. It feels like that experience with them, hearing them, and then going to see them was a, a big moment in your life very hard to explain
0: because I don't, I tried very hard to articulate it in the book. Okay. Uh, and, and I can tell you what happened, but I can't tell you how it happened. Um, it's, it's deeper than my ability to understand. So I heard my, my first Indigo girl song, uh, being played on WUMB radio in Boston. I lived in Boston and had a Louisiana style restaurant there. I was a chef in a Cajun joint that I was part owner of. Uh, and I was a very serious drug addict and alcoholic. I had a big, big monkey on my back. Big, big problem with booze and dope ever since I was 13. And I was driving home from work and UMB played the Indigo Girl song off of that first record, Strange Fire, I think is the name of it. And the sound of it um, wormholed its way into my soul somehow, and I sat in front of the house with it playing. After I got home, it I just let it play out, and I heard their name, uh, and it just cracked me. I just ended up banging my fists on the steering wheel, and I didn't know why. I had never written a song. I had never thought of myself as a songwriter. I was part owner of a restaurant. I was you know, doing okay financially, but I was unhappy. Um, and something about hearing their voices pushed on that unhappiness. And I didn't know what it was trying to tell me. It was a whisper from the future somehow that I couldn't understand. All I knew was it hurt. It really hurt. Uh, and then, I, you know, they got their record deal and they blew up, Closer to Fine was a hit. And as it was blowing itself up, I got to go see them uh, at the Alley, Paradise Paradise uh, Bar uh, uh, in Boston, and um, man, it hurt even more to see them. I got physically sick, uh, and it wasn't because they weren't great; they were great. But seeing them uh, and watching the audience scream like the Beatles were on stage um did something to me that i still couldn't understand or explain um and um i think in the book i try to make sense of it what i think happened and uh i don't know how i knew this because i still hadn't written a song yet i wasn't a songwriter yet i was a chef in a successful restaurant newly sober when i went to see him i was newly sober i'd been sober a very short amount of time. Having been pulled over for drunk driving, arrested, I got sober in 1990. Um, I think what happened was seeing two obviously gay women on stage, uh, uh being cheered on and screamed at by girls. Um, something inside me knew that any blockade I had around the excuse of, gay women can't do this, had just been removed. And uh, it blew my mind. And not too long after that, I was brought to an open mic, uh, and I realized, oh my god, I want to get on that stage and be a songwriter. And I started putting the pieces together. Our souls know what our minds have not yet
1: revealed to us, I think is is the truth of that story. You talk in the book about that, going to the club, Uh, when you finally sort of got up the gumption to get up on stage at open mic night, and then you had crippling stage fright and passed, and it sounds like that happened more than once, Uh, but but you sort of slide by the moment where you finally got a song out up there, and I'm wondering what that felt like when you managed to actually get one done and performed on stage.
0: Well, it felt like hell, because I knew I sucked. (laughs) I mean in the early going, it was just getting to the end of a song without freezing or forgetting it. I mean, my fear was extraordinary. I was, it was, you, I had terror, stage fright for real, that primal sensation of life-threatening terror being on stage. It was like, ah, I have no idea what I'm doing up here. I'm out of my mind. And it felt like it could kill me. Um. So, just getting to the end of a song was the uh, initial goal, uh, and I got to the end, but I knew I was terrible. Um. I mean, I wasn't delusional thinking I was great or anything. It took a long time, uh, to uh, to quit being terrified. Um, and uh, you have to defeat the fear. I think you have to do it enough to where the fear surrenders.
1: Do you remember the moment when? You weren't terrified anymore? There wasn't, it wasn't an event.
0: It was more like a process. It slowly wore down to where one day I realized I'm not, um, I'm not freaking out. But there's still moments like live television, you know, and sometimes, uh, oh heck, I walk out on stage on the Opry and I stand in that star circle and I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing here? And there's a part of our self that separates out when you're terrified and watches what's happening. You're no longer in the moment. You're watching from another viewpoint. And I can't really explain that either, except for it's a separation from self. And that can really get in the way of remembering lyrics.
1: I've heard you say a couple of times in different interviews that often your audience it gets kind of split, especially maybe when you're playing in front of people who don't know you well, that there are some people in the crowd that sort of get what you're doing and why you're doing it and other people who don't. That's right. And what I'm wondering about that is, can you sense that from the stage as it's happening? Yeah. So
0: what does that feel like? It feels like another night for Mary Gaucher. <laughs> 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 yeah, because I... My voice is an acquired taste. I'm not a singer-singer. I know that I sing flat at times. I know that my voice doesn't have that appealing vibrato that people look for in a a woman's voice. I know that it's quirky. At the Opry, they call me a vocal stylist. (laughs) <laughs> is that the name they use? Yeah, that's they, that's what they call most songwriters, you know? Oh, yeah, vocal stylist. That means you're not a singer. <laughs> and, and in Nashville, we know what a singer is. We, we have a very clear understanding and agreement of what a male singer and a female singer is. And I'm not that. Uh, so I have to win people over with the lyrics uh, and my ability... Uh, as a vocalist, to be uh, vulnerable, and there's people who really deeply resonate with that, and there's people who are not interested in that. They just want to be wowed by a great voice, and I gotta, I gotta, um, I gotta find my people every every time I play in front of a new group. Uh, and actually, I don't have to find them; they find me.
1: I I wanted to ask about that finding your people and them finding you. Because your songs are obviously, a lot of them are very intense, very emotional. People feel deep things when they hear them. And I'm wondering if people who, fans who maybe talk to you in one venue or another, if they feel the need to sort of spill their feelings out to you, because maybe they have some sense that you're in touch with what they're feeling.
0: Yes, it happens every night. It's a great, it's a great privilege to be able to, um, to be trusted, uh, with, uh, deep emotion from a stranger. Um, and I honor that, uh, I know that what I'm doing is more of a ministry than a show business enterprise.
1: You talked about being a minister and this is a ministry. What is the faith that you're trying to lead people toward?
0: that we belong to each other, that all the things we think separate us uh, are minuscule compared to the things that connect us. The successful division uh, around the world is a crock. Those things are not, I repeat, not as important as what unites us. And what unites us is mortality, um, uh, a vulnerability, um, f- a fragileness around our well-being, uh, a need for uh, certain things that, that we all have, which is meaningful connection, um, a tribe uh, of people that we feel we belong in, safety. Um, we're all concerned about our children, if we have children uh our parents if they're still alive these things are way more important uh, than the divisions that have been created uh by uh politics uh and the dark forces that divide us that's the ministry it's that love is way big and it really will save us it hasn't changed love is the answer the beatles were right it's it's the truth jesus was right it was always uh, the mission statement of all religions to preach love. My father could use a little mercy now The fruits of his labor Falling right slow Work is almost over. It won't be long. He won't be around. I love my father. He could use some
1: mercy now. When we come back, Mary Ghost Jay talks about how the songwriting muse only arrives when she puts in the work.
0: I, I got a. I being some sort of songwriter mind and then i gotta i gotta invite it it doesn't come knocking on the door really i gotta i gotta put the antenna up
1: that and more i had on southbound hey this is tommy before we get back to this episode i wanted to ask for a little help with something if you enjoy southbound please give us a good rating and write us a review on apple podcasts or whatever podcast provider you have that allows such things. The more reviews and better ratings we get, the better chance there is that other listeners can find us. But to be honest, I'd just as soon you tell people about Southbound through good old word of mouth. If you could recommend it to just one person you know, somebody you might think would enjoy interesting conversations about the South, I'd be deeply grateful. If you have any thoughts about the show, guests to recommend, or anything that you think might make Southbound better, you can email me at ttomlinson at wfae.org. Thanks so much for giving us a little bit of your time. And now, back to my conversation with Mary Gauthier. Mary, I want to ask just a little bit about your background. You, You alluded to it earlier about all getting in trouble, being in drugs, drinking, and and having that sort of moment uh, when you got that DUI where you became sober on the other side of that. I have sort of a weird question. Sure. Do you you miss getting in trouble? No. Mm -mm, I don't miss that pain.
0: Mm -mm. No, I don't. And I can get in trouble without drugs and alcohol. So there's that. (laughs) No, I don't miss drinking and drugging. I don't. I haven't missed it for years. I don't miss being out of control. I don't miss not knowing uh, what's, what, what, what the night will bring if I'll end up in jail again or, or embarrassing myself or hurting somebody's feelings or worse yet, um, uh, not remembering what I did. I, I have a very serious drug and alcohol problem and I don't miss, I don't miss the, um, the consequences that I was suffering from that. Do I miss being able to get high a little bit and sort of relax? Yeah, but that was never my story, not even from day one.
1: I think I I asked that because I remember Jason Isbell talking one time about how he worried when he got sober whether the the parts of him that people liked were going to go away when he sobered up. You know, whether on the other side he was going to become a person that people didn't want to hang out with as much. Did you have any of those worries?
0: Uh when I was done, not many people wanted to hang out with me. <laughs> uh, so I didn't know, and I, I didn't, I, I didn't start writing music and songs until I was coming up on five years sober. So he had a music career behind him when he got sober, and that's a different um, reality than what my 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 music career and write my my uh, my ability to even know I was drawn to be a songwriter is a consequence of sobriety. So uh, he had a he had a he had a good career behind him when he got sober. So he he had a legitimate concern, like, wait a minute, am I gonna be able to do it as well sober? And obviously, the answer is he does it better sober.
1: Right. I often wonder when I think about him, and you mentioned Jim Lauderdale earlier, and and you about all you know about there being sort of what I think of from the outside is two Nashvilles. You know, there's a Nashville of Luke Bryan and Carrie Underwood and whoever, all the people who are on country radio, basically. And then there's this sort of alternative Nashville where you and Jason, a lot of other people who have thriving careers and do well in your own way, is just a different sort of type of music. And I'm wondering, as somebody who lives there and deals with it all the time, is that sort of a false dichotomy? Do do, do all those folks sort of mix together? Or is it, what's it like there? Nashville... Has many, many,
0: many, 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 many different kinds of uh, of of artists. Uh, there are those who want the mainstream country radio-driven career, the Luke Bryan's, the Carrie Underwoods, the Miranda Lambert's. That was what they signed up for. Maren Morris. That's that was their dream, and that's what they wanted. Um, so mainstream success comes with its um with its uh lucrative payday but also it has its limitations of what you can say and do um there's many many other types of uh of of artists working in this town um you know uh for for example there's there's uh folks like me who i have a solid troubadour singer songwriter folk career But I signed a publishing deal this year, believe it or not. And I'm writing with young artists who want to place songs in the hands of those who want to have a mainstream country career. So I'm writing Mary Gaucher songs with people who want to place them with people who want to be on the radio.
1: And is that interesting for you to try to, like, figure out that puzzle in your head?
0: Well I'll never try to write a song for the radio because I hate the radio I think it's absolutely <laughs> horrible it's the worst songs every time I think it can't get worse it gets worse there ain't no bottom it's just terrible so I'm not gonna try to write that stuff but what what I would would hope uh to succeed at um is to is to connect with these young songwriters uh, and write something beautiful um and so Every now and then, you know, Laurie McKenna gets a song that slides through, and it's beautiful. Uh, Every now and then, Miranda Lambert cuts a song that's really a great song. There's a very small window of opportunity for songs that I think are great songs in this genre.
1: It made me think of um, John Prine, who, you know, in your book, obviously, you kind of take a chapter and talk about Sam Stone.
0: Sam Stone came home and family after serving him the conflict overseas, and the time that he served had shattered all his nerves and left
1: a little shrapnel in his knee. I wonder if he's somebody that you spent time with and, and hung out with before he passed.
0: Yeah, quite a bit. Well, it started with me being a huge John Prine fan long before I got sober. Decades before I got sober, I was all about John Prine. Uh, I drove to see him many, 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 many times, and, uh, and then when I got sober and came to Nashville, um, I approached Al Benetta, his manager at the time, and said, "I want to open for John." And I worked on Al, and I worked on Al, and I worked on Al until finally I got to open for John, and I got to open for John quite a bit uh, for a couple of years there. Uh, and then, then I got to know him some, and then we see each other at, at social events uh, and became uh, friends. Uh, in fact, I was due to write with him uh, the week before he got COVID. And I thought I had caught a cold, and I didn't want to expose John, because uh, he had been through so many surgeries. So I said, let's try it again later, because I may have a scratchy throat, and I canceled. And the week later after that, he got COVID, and the rest is history. We lost him. We never got a Gaucher Prines song, but yeah, John was a good friend, and, and uh, uh, we, we, uh, we saw things the same way, you know. Uh, he, he was one of my great teachers,
1: really. I was going to ask about your songwriting process, but I guess the question I really want to ask is, do you have a songwriting process, or does it just come when it comes?
0: Well, you know, it's different every time, but I got to sit in this desk and work at it. You know, I got to work at it. It comes when I invite it to come. So I got to clear the deck of business. I got to clear the deck of traveling. Although I can write in a hotel room, uh, I I got I got to be in some sort of songwriter mind, and then I gotta I gotta invite it. It doesn't come knocking on the door, really. I gotta I gotta put the antenna up. I'm I'm always collecting little nuggets, though. And so when I when I put the antenna up, I have what I call a pile of ideas that I can go to and see if I can 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 get something uh, electrical happening that I really want to
1: write. I don't want to get away uh, here without talking about the songwriting work you've done with veterans. Um, you've been part of this group that works with folks and and helps them get their songs out. and I, and I wonder whether that kind of comes from the same place of trying to figure out that loneliness and isolation or whatever it is inside them and trying to figure out how to put that into words or into music. Like, they, the way I understand it is like they, they basically write the words and you put a tune to it, kind of? Kind of. What, what, what I found writing
0: with veterans, and I did that work for 10 years. I'm not doing it anymore, but I did it for 10 years. Um, what I found working with veterans is that I just talked to them. And I create a container of safety, so I go in with an absolutely open mind uh, and I just ask them, you know, what branch did you serve in? When did you serve? Where did you serve? What was it like? Uh, just create a conversation and open up my laptop and start typing down things they say, uh, and it's not an interview, but more of a, just asking questions about their life. What's it like now? How long you been out? Are you active duty? Have you retired? And the song starts to find us. Uh and, and when I get the sense that they've uttered a title, uh, and they always do, you know, I'll say, Hey man, wh- what about writing that song called Still on the Ride or, you know, Rifles and Rosary Beads or uh, you know, It's Her Love. I mean, I had a veteran tell me the only reason I'm here it's because of my wife's love. I, I wouldn't have survived what I've survived if she didn't love me the way she does. Like, well then let's write, it's her love. And he he's like, yeah, man. And so I don't have to mind the recess of my own subconscious um, being in a soldier song. Their experience is what I'm trying to capture. I don't insert myself at all. So if I ask the right questions, with the right tone, and I'm using body language and softness to create safety, um, they'll talk to me, and what I'll get
1: is their truth. All this talks about, you know, all this sort of connects to these deeper feelings and things that that people often try to tamp down in their lives through one way or another. And and I don't want to oversimplify things here. I, I just want to kind of see what your feelings are about him. Do you think that you had that stuff in you all along to be a songwriter and be a creative person? Yeah. And that it just emerged when you sobered up? Yeah. Or did you sort of know it was there and you tried to tamp it down that whole time?
0: I kind of knew it was there, but I never thought it was possible. I never thought it was possible because I didn't have the courage to do it. And I didn't have the courage to do it Cause I was dying of drug addiction and alcoholism. So I had to get sober and heal. And then I had to find the courage to go through the uh, awfulness of knowing that I sucked and, and you don't start out good at this. Nobody does. You've got to get good at it. And that's done in front of an audience and it's not easy. I think it was I think it was my destiny, and I never would have manifested it if I hadn't gotten sober because it really took a lot of courage because I was terrified.
1: These songs that you write are are cathartic to a lot of people they it's like a Shakespearean play. sometimes you go watch a tragedy and you feel somehow better for having gone through that experience and felt those emotions and that the songs are sort of a proxy that you go through. I wonder if they feel the same way for you. Like, can you feel the catharsis of your own work by either writing it or performing it or whatever?
0: Yes, they help me get through stuff too. You know, that's why I called my book Saved by a Song. I do think there's a, a salvation in this for most of us songwriters. Like, we are hanging on by a thread sometimes, and this is what we're hanging on to. It's the hope of creating something useful and meaningful out of the experience. Mac McAnally once said, and I've always quoted it, that a song is extraordinary in that it can take the worst day of your life. Uh, and as a songwriter, you can write it out after you've survived it and turn it into something that is both beautiful uh, and empathetic and other people can relate to, and it can be useful to them. It can take some of the almost challenging, emotionally devastating moments of your life and make them be useful to others. That's alchemy. And so I think we're alchemists in here, um, those of us who are doing it this way. Uh, And that alchemy happens inside of us as well as the audience. I hated high school. I prayed it would end. jocks and their girls, it was their
1: world, I didn't fit in. Mary Gaucher's genius is writing simple songs with complicated feelings. Maybe that skill only comes from having a complicated life. She didn't start writing songs until she was in her 30s, after many a wasted year. Her hard times were more extreme than most, but we've all got something gnawed at our insides, Something dragging us down. And her songs, as dark as they can be, almost always have at least a pinprick of hope. Her songs and her life stand for the same idea. There's always a way out. To have your favorite guitar get busted is a nightmare for any musician. But Mary Gaucher didn't mourn long. She knows there are a lot worse problems. And she's got a lot more work to do. Southbound is a production of WFAE in Charlotte. Our main theme music comes from Josh Turner. You can listen to this and other episodes of Southbound on the NPR One app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can subscribe for free to get each new episode sent to you when it's ready. You can also find Southbound on WFAE.org, where every episode has show notes with more information on that week's guest. See y'all next time. Thanks for listening.
0: May eternity hold you in the hollow of her hand. May a soft wind enfold you as you travel distant lands. May the moon and stars delight you as the daylight dims. Till the morning sun warms your face Till I see you again